This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. We have a very special guest with us uh, on this episode of Apostolic Theory. I'm very excited. Uh, an exceptional uh, brother and an incredible uh, minister. Again, very excited. Um, got Brother Purcell with us. Uh, would you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Neil Purcell. I've been a full-time evangelist for the last five years. Uh, we based out of uh, New Life in Terre Haute, Indiana. My pastor is Jeffrey Harpel. Uh, my wife and I and our two children uh, are full-time in our camper and just kind of go wherever the Lord leads us. <laughs> Praise God. That's exciting. Uh we're we're actually getting ready to move into a camper um, ourselves, so we're selling the house and just seeing where the Lord leads. It's nerve wracking, but exciting at the same time. <laughs> I understand, brother. When you're in the will of God, though, there's a peace that comes with it. So tremendous. Um, so very excited uh, about this particular episode. Something that I myself and all am also very passionate about. But I am very excited to hear what you've prepared. Um, hoping and believing that it'll be a blessing to uh, any of the listeners that happen to catch this particular episode. So why don't you just go right ahead into what you've prepared? Okay. Uh, I've had the honor of being the outreach director for three different churches. Uh, The last church that uh, we attended before going into evangelism full-time, I was the assistant pastor and outreach director. And I think when people think of outreach, they just think of knocking on doors. And in this day and age, especially post-pandemic, you're, you might get a gun pointed at you if you go knocking on random strangers' doors. It doesn't seem to be as effective. And the thing is, is outreach goes so much beyond just door knocking. Uh, I've often told people, if you're going to door knock, do it with a purpose. You know, don't just go randomly door knock. Are you advertising vacation Bible school? Are you doing prayer outreach where you knock on the door and you ask for, for prayer or if you can pray for anything for anybody in the home. Uh, I've seen that be very effective. There was an instance when I was, uh, I was 17, I believe. We were helping with a uh, church that we were doing a sectional youth rally with. We got there early to outreach in the community. We knocked on the door of a home of this woman who was living there. Her son was about 21, I believe. And he was dying. He needed kidneys, and he was so far on the list, they told him he probably would not live to receive them. Uh, We prayed for him. We prayed for her. He came to the service that night. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, within three weeks, he had kidneys that had been donated and had a transplant, survived it, and went on to become that church's van minister. Uh, Another instance, we had a, a church outreach for prayer, there was a man who was very um, uh, standoffish, if you will. He was very cynical. Uh, he worked for a uh, limestone mill and had had a large piece of limestone dropped on his foot. It crushed it. It was in a cast. And so when the question was asked, is there anything we could pray for? He said, yeah, you can pray for my foot if you think it'll help. And so they prayed for him, and God instantly healed his foot. Uh, needless to say, he was in church. Uh, he and his wife and his children were saved. He went on to become a minister and pastor a church himself. So I've seen 
that sort of outreach be effective. But the thing is, is outreach should be part of our everyday lives. Um, I told the church that I was with, you know, as, a, as an outreach director, I said, my job as an outreach director really is to put myself out of a job. I, if the church is being the church, we don't really need an outreach director because everybody is witnessing to the people within their circles. I mean, you know, you know people that I will never meet and, and I know people you'll never meet. And the thing is, is that is so true within each local congregation. The pastor can't reach all the people you know. The ministry team can't reach all of the people you know. Even the outreach team can't reach all the people you know. But you, as an individual, have the power to make a difference in your circle of people. And we hear scriptures like, you know, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. And, you know, that's that's a pretty strong word. That goes beyond persuading. That goes beyond suggesting. It's do everything you can to get them to come. Right. And I just, I think that if we can get our mentality focused on in, in that avenue, but something that the Lord gave me recently, I've actually been preaching it in a few churches that I've been to recently. Um, of all places, you don't expect to find an outreach scripture in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where God is wrapping up the 10 plagues. But um, it's there, nevertheless. You know, in, in Exodus chapter 12, God instructs them, you know, to prepare the Passover lamb. He tells them that if they put the blood on the doorposts, death will not visit them. Most of us are familiar with that. And and most of us, I would say, that would be listening to this, we, we understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb. John the Baptist called him out twice publicly. In John chapter 1, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. First uh, Corinthians 5, 7, Paul tells us that Christ is our Passover, and he was sacrificed for us. So we don't really have too much of an issue with that typology, that he's the Passover Lamb. But I think that if he is truly our Passover Lamb, which he is, Scripture makes that very clear, there's a portion of Exodus 12 where God says to Moses, speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And then he says this in verse four, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house, take it according to the number of souls. And so when I saw that, it just, is one of those verses you you know you read scripture a hundred times and then one day on the hundred and first time it just jumps out at you right and this was one of those scriptures because I, I begin to think about uh, in in first Kings when Solomon is is praying over the temple and dedicating the temple in first Kings eight twenty seven he says but will God indeed dwell on the earth. Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain me, how much less this house that I have built. And then in Isaiah 66 and 1, the Lord himself declares, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? And so scripture is very clear that there is no house that contain, can contain God. He's, he's too big. There's no church that can contain him. And so 
by that logic, when you apply Exodus 12 and verse 4, if the household be too little, or in other words, if the lamb be too big for the house, then you're supposed to share it with your neighbor. And so if Christ is our Passover lamb, and I, we, again, we've established that, we have scripture to back that up, then God's commanding us to share him with our neighbor because our houses can't contain him, our churches can't contain him. There's, there's no football stadium, even though we can get almost 40,000 young people for a youth congress, there's no football stadium that can contain him. And so he says, share the lamb with your neighbor. And as we see when he's addressing the crowd that asks, you know, what are the greatest commandments? And he tells them, you know, you're supposed to love the Lord with everything within you and then love your neighbor as yourself. We know from that scripture, our neighbor is anybody we come in contact with. It's, it's not just who we live next to. It's not just who is in our neighborhood. And so when we look at that, what he's really telling the church is every single member of the church should be involved in soul winning. Every single member of the church should be involved in outreach. Our lives should be reaching out to others. And I know that some of this may seem cliche and some of us may have, you know, have heard this before, but traveling the country for the last five years, um, we've been through a lot of states multiple times. We've seen God do some mighty things, but the fact is, is we've never been with part of a church or with a church that everyone in the church is outreaching. Everyone in the church is soul winning, teaching Bible studies, being a witness. And if we can ever grasp the understanding that he's too big for our house and that we're obligated to share him with our neighbor, I think that that could turn the church upside down because one, one pastor one ministry team, one outreach director, that's not enough to save a city or save a county or an area. It's going to take an entire congregation being about the Father's business and trying to reach these lost souls. But the, the other thing I think is interesting is that in the book of John, Jesus tells his disciples, I have to go to Samaria. And a lot of us are familiar with that. She, she was a woman who was an outcast. She had to get her water in the heat of the day. And Jesus meets her at the well and tells her, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for a drink. Uh, you know, and he tells her, her her past. He tells her her present, blows her mind, reveals to her that he's the Messiah. She goes back to the city to tell everyone about him. And as he's making his way, or as, I'm sorry, as the disciples are making their way back to him, they begin to have an interaction. They begin to speak with him. And Jesus tells them a scripture that we use quite a bit, and it's about the harvest. And he says, you know, uh, in, in John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, Say not you, there are yet four months, and then come with the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. And we, we quote that scripture often. I've heard it. I've been in church for over 20 years now. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. And I've heard many people quote that. And, and you know, the harvest is ready. There's never been a problem with the harvest. It's, it's the laborers. And 
And there is a lot of truth to that. The Lord said that, you know, pray for laborers. That's where the issue lies. But in this particular portion of Scripture, he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. And the interesting thing about that is he is standing in the middle of Samaria, the last place any respectable Jew would want to be. They, they had a route that they took that added time to their trip just to avoid Samaria. But Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, the harvest is ready in the last place you want to be. In the last place you would look for a harvest, that's where the souls are ready. And I, I think that's something else that we need to, to have an understanding about is it's not just our job to, to reach the lost for every single individual in the church to be reaching for souls, but it's not always quote unquote on the right side of the tracks. It's not always in the place we want to be. It's not always doctors and lawyers and, and respectable people. Sometimes it's the places where you, you, you don't want to go. Sometimes it's the places you may need to pray the prayer of protection before you step in there and make sure you're going in a group setting. But but the thing is, is you look at who Jesus had dinner with. You look at who Jesus spent his time with when he was here. It was the publicans and the sinners. He was trying to reach the undesirables. And I believe he's saying the same thing here in the book of John when he's talking to his disciples in the middle of Samaria. This is the harvest. These are the people that are lost. People that need me. These are the people that need hope. They need a light to be shined in this darkness that they're in and and so I think that if we can get those two concepts, I think it would change uh, local congregations. I think we would start seeing growth like we've never seen. I think we would wind up plunging ourselves into more building projects than we expected because we would need bigger grain bins to contain the harvest that God has for us. But I just, to me, that was just kind of one of those aha moments where it jumped out. He said, if if the lamb's too big for the house, you've got to share it. And the harvest, well, the harvest is the last place you really want to be, but it, those people need saved too. Those souls need one too. And so I just, that's what's been on my heart uh, since you've invited me on, on, and i just been excited to share that because I think a lot of times when we look at scriptures like, you know, compel them to come or, when we're told to be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within us, we, I think sometimes we think that that's just for ministry or just for pastor, just for preachers. But, you know, this was for the whole church. And, and when we're, we're given instruction on how to reach and to lead, reach the lost and give that answer for the hope that's within us, those are letters that were written to churches that were read to the entire congregation. It wasn't just a ministry team. It wasn't just an outreach director. And so I think we really need to grasp this is for all of us. And, um, you know, I have a little girl who just turned six, and she was filled with the Holy Ghost at Minnesota Family Camp last year at, at five years old. And that girl invites people. She embarrasses me. I, I'm sitting here telling you to reach out to everybody. But, brother, she's just asking everybody to come to church with her or uh, you need to get baptized, you can get baptized right now, you know, and, but she has seen this, and she wants to share Jesus, who she has found to be real in her life. And I just, I look at that zeal and that that drive, and I just, 
sometimes I have to take a step back and, and analyze myself. Am I doing as good as she is? Am I, am I outreaching the way she is? And, uh, but you know, the point that I'm trying to make is it's children, young people, adults, married couples, singles, elders, we can all reach a group of people that are within our circles. And I think that, that it's more than obvious from the word of God that it's not just a suggestion. He's, he's telling us. That was the whole purpose Jesus told his disciples to, to receive the Holy Ghost. He said, when you receive it, you'll have power. And then you'll be witnesses. He didn't say you'll have power to show off. You'll have power to demonstrate the miraculous. In Acts 1-8, when he told them they'd get power, he immediately went into, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we need to understand that once we're born again, once we've been baptized in Jesus' name, for our remission of sins, and we're filled with his spirit, we have power that is not just supposed to be displayed or showed off. It's supposed to be used to reach the lost and dying world. And I think we really, I think a lot of churches are starting to understand that. But it seems like we've forgotten our purpose over over the last few decades. And I think as, as we get closer to him coming, we're, we're running out of time to work in these fields. And we need to be about our father's business. But, but that's, that's all I have, brother. Two things. <clears throat> First um, thing comes to mind. And, and I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Jesus, you know, there were several times when Jesus, uh, healed people, uh, first, for instance, would be the demoniac of Gadara. And, um, he wanted to go with Jesus, but he told him to go home. He told right. him to go home and be a witness to what God had done in his life. Right. You, you know, and you, you, you look at the life that this man lived in the, in the tombstones crying out at night and cutting himself and no man could bind him. And, you know, he's delivered from a legion of devils, thousands of devils, you know, and, and they, it seems like the town was more concerned about their livestock than they were about, you know, this man who, who's a part of their community, you know, it's just, it's incredible. And I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm more concerned about my things and my mine than I am about the incredible, miraculous things that God is doing. You know, right. and then there was, I take up your bed and walk. The, the, uh, <clears throat> the lame man at the well who was laying on the bed and... You know, Jesus told him to pick up his bed, and that bed was his witness of right. the miraculous in his life. And so he would witness, and people would see, because people knew that he was the guy that couldn't get to the pool of Bethesda. Other people would right. go get their miracle, and they'd walk over him. You know, and and, and then you... you Another part that I'm thinking about that comes to mind is you know, the the lame man by the gate, beautiful. When the disciples come by and see him, you know, Jesus must have walked by that same gate how many times? Mm -hmm. And didn't 
didn't didn't heal him. Didn't, as far right. as I know, didn't talk to him. But you know, he's just begging for alms. And they said, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I to thee." Right. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he's just he's just expecting something natural. He's expecting, you know, uh, just maybe a couple of coins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in that moment, his life is transformed because somebody turned aside from their course to address right. to address a need. Right. And it's like you said, when Jesus said, we've got to go to Samaria. He deviated from the original plan that the disciples had expected to reach one person who would in turn be a witness and prepare a way for when they came back to Samaria again. Uh, but you know, so often we 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 the culture that we live in. It's just we have so much trouble in inconveniencing ourselves, if you will, with the needs and the lives of other people. <clears throat> you look at the you look at the you know the New Testament church and the Bible. They sold everything. They gave everything. They had all things in common because they all cared about the same thing, serving God. Right. And because they cared about that, that's why they turned the known world upside down. These are the these are the ones that turn the world upside down. Why? Well, because they saw a bigger picture. They had this perspective that was way different. You know, than than what we see a lot of the church have today, where it's it's my my little my little area, it's 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 my little my house, my vehicle. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I want to go to church on Wednesday and 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 Sunday morning and and occasionally Sunday night. But I I just want to I just want to by by my standards, by my will, by my desires. And you 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 put that into perspective of the eternal, and it's it's we we are so far away from the mark. It's it's scary. Yeah. Well, and you look at Jesus in John chapter nine. You know, we sometimes I think we forget that the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. You know, it's a very convenient memorizing tool, but it wasn't written that way originally. But in verse nine or verse one of chapter nine, it says as Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth, and that's where his disciples say, who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, nobody sinned. This is so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And he goes on to say, I must work the works of him that sent me while I stay. The night's coming when no man can work. But if you go up into chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, right before this, you find that Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees, and they're talking to him about, you know, what's what's going on and, and where they're at. And he said, you know, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He, he saw it and was glad. And then they said unto him, you're not 50 years old. How, how have you seen Abraham? And that's when Jesus says unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And so it's very clear in their reaction, he was proclaiming himself to be the great I am that spoke to Moses, because the next verse says, Then took they up stones to cast to him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. The very next verse is, And as Jesus passed by, <laughs> he saw him. he's running for his life from the religious rulers that want to stone him to death, but his priority is still a soul. You know, I, I think there was something within him that he things had been put into play. You know, he had he had really upset the religious leaders. He he knew that it was going to end at Calvary. He knew that that's that today wasn't going to be his day. But at the same time, he was still flesh, and he had to get out of there because if they would have stoned him, they would have killed him. And but he says, you know what? I don't. I don't know that I'm coming back by this way. And this man's here right now with a real need. And so I'm just going to stop and heal him and show him how powerful God is. And like you said, I'm going to make him a witness to everybody that has known he sat here blind for all of these years. And so his priority as he was passing and running for his life is, oh, there's a soul. Mm. And it and talk about inconvenience. I mean, your life's on the line. I don't know of a greater inconvenience, but he's still stopping to show, not only show this man the power of God, not only to show him how much God cares about him and to create a witness and a testimony, but he's also showing his disciples the importance of stopping. And I think this illustration of watching Jesus do what he did very well could have been part of what was going through John and Peter's mind as they were on their way to prayer that day. Because they had already seen their master go out of his... He was running for his life, Pete. Surely we can stop on our way to prayer. I mean, and I, I think that could have been a very real thought that went through their minds because of the example Jesus set. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's... We've got to be willing to invest to invest ourselves uh, our finances our vehicles you know sometimes even our homes you know it's it's one thing you know you you have somebody at your church that's been at your church for 20 years and and your best friends and you do anything for them that's one thing but would you be willing to do the same thing for them For somebody yep. you don't know. Right. Right. We are listen, we are entering some tumultuous times, some 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 dangerous times. You know, there's there's turmoil, there's unrest, there's there's discord, there's so much it's it's we're in the end times. There's just so much going on. And we're so consumed by the darkness that we forget we are supposed to be the light. That's right. That's right. We we the the Holy Spirit in us is the light. The same light that shined down on the apostle Paul when he was Saul, the same light that pierces the darkness and the light in the darkness comprehended it not. It's the same light. And we right. carry it around, we bear it, and we ought to be willing to share it with the world. And you could say, well, you know, 
I put my, I'll put my family at risk or I'll put my finances at risk or what if they steal something from me? And, you know, those, that's material. Right. That's natural. And instead of, and you know, I'll probably get a lot of flack. People are going to listen to this episode and say, that guy's crazy. I'm never listening to his episodes again. But here's the deal. You know, we spend all this time, you know, tending to our own needs and our own families as we should. But we, we neglect probably our greatest call. And, you know, that's that's the call of outreach. That's the call of lifestyle evangelism. That's the call of seeing somebody in need and offering a hand. Right. You know, somebody doesn't have transportation to church. You guys don't have a bus ministry. Pick them up in your car. That's a commitment. Absolutely. You know, that's a commitment. That's an inconvenience, but that's a soul. Absolutely. You've got an, an, an you know an abundance of food in your cupboards. Donate it to donate some to a food cupboard. Donate some to a local uh you know a homeless shelter. Do even you know just do do anything. There's just so many different things that we could do. And you've got people that aren't even Christian that are doing more for their communities than we are. And that's a shame. Yes. That's a it shame. Is. I, I agree. I agree. I want to preface this by saying I did not grow up in church. <laughs> so I know a little bit more about the insides of taverns than I, and, and bars than I should. But I told my wife recently, I said, you know, it's a shame that the Bible calls us, like you said, the light. But Jesus also said we're the salt of the earth. And a lot of people look at that as, you know, the salt has preservation properties and, 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 and rightly so. But the thing that the taverns have figured out is if we put out salty snacks like the pretzels and peanuts, people are going to get thirsty and then they're going to buy our drinks. I told my wife, I said, if we as the soul of the earth aren't making people thirsty for Jesus, then we're doing something wrong. Wow. We should be when we have an interaction with somebody. They should want to know about how can you have peace while your life is falling apart? How can you have joy when you're in the middle of the biggest mess you've ever been in? How how can I get what you have? I'm I'm thirsty for this water of life that you're talking about. But if they're not having that kind of response, there might be some. We may have lost our savor. May have lost our saltiness, if you will. And I, I told her, I said, it's just a shame that the bars haven't figured out better than than we who are supposed to be the salt. Wow. I've figured out. Wow, I never I never looked at it that way, but that's tremendous. That's a tremendous thought. We are salty. We should make people thirsty and we lead them to the well of living, living water. water. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. That's a good thought. That's a that's a, I don't know if there's a better way to end this episode. That's Say that again. Say that one more time. We, we, as the salt of the earth, bars and pubs will put out their salty snacks to make people thirsty for their drinks. But if we're the salt of the earth, and when we interact with people, if they're not thirsty for the Jesus that we have, the well of living water, then, then we've lost our savor. We've lost our saltiness. They, they should be thirsty for Jesus every time they have an interaction with us. Amen. As we close out this episode, what is one thing you want the listeners to walk away from this episode with? 
I think the, the thing I would desire the most is for them to walk away with an understanding of if they have been born again of water and spirit, then they have the, been given the power to be witnesses. And, and that is for them. They, they have been called, no matter what position or office they hold in the church, they as an individual have been called, been called to be a soul winner. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you joining us on Apostolic Theory. It's been a tremendous blessing. I am taking some notes. So I'm, you know, to I might preach this next Sunday. I'm gonna steal preach it. it, brother. Preach it. <laughs> Thank you again, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. God bless. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.